We're back! We're back! This is a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. Hi, Roth. Hey, man. How are you? Well, a little inside baseball. Roth and I slept in the same room yeah. last week. And what a magical night that was. We were in a cabin with ceilings that were like five feet high. It was like floor nine and a half from being John Malkovich. It was very exciting and fun. Yeah. More exciting for Drew. It was basically, so they put the, I'd say maybe the three tallest staffers that we have. I'm a pretty, well, Luis is taller than me, but so like I'm, uh, so we had one, two, and four in a cabin that was like, it was not for hobbits, but it was for like, uh, like if there was like a, like for taller hobbits, like, and (laughs) so I could get under the lighting fixtures with ease, but both Justin and Drew had to be like bobbing and weaving like Pernell Whitaker every step they took in the damn place. Uh, And yeah, I slept on on a twin bed. Maybe five feet away from Drew Bear. Uh, that yeah, was... I could I could hear you like toss and turn. Like yeah, I had a really shitty night's sleep, and then the next day, Drew got on the phone and did the uh, the voice from Dune and got us moved to a nicer cabin, which yeah, was that's really right. impressive to to witness. That's a that's a talent I got from my mom. When my mom is wants something, she does not fuck about. She'll she she like cuts lines and stuff like that, but she's like. She's old enough where you're like, oh, all right, well, that lady's going to do what that lady's going to do. Hey, our guest this week, it's Tyler Dunn. Uh, oh, yeah. Tyler Dunn comes back uh, onto the podcast. His newsletter, which I read is Go Long TD. But also, Ty just wrote a fucking book. He wrote The Blood and Guts. And uh, Ty, you can expect a call from Ohio State's lawyers for using the word the uh, in the title. Um, it's called The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends... How Tight Ends Save Football. It's on sale Tuesday, the 18th. And um, in this book, Ty, you you essentially profile some of the greatest tight ends uh, in NFL history. You, you talk to them about the nature of the position. Why it tends to draw a very specific kind of player into playing it. Did I, su- did I sum that up correctly? Does that sound right to you? Absolutely. I mean, and thanks for having me on, fellas. It's great to be back. Just I could listen to you guys riff an intro like for the next 15, 20 minutes. It's always fun. Oh, oh good. Because you know That's what? Why don't much. you shut up and we'll just keep doing that? Yeah, and then great. It'll be fine. Anyway, so the second day, much better, much better. <laughs> yeah. Did we talk about the bear? We saw a bear, <laughs> but I, but other people saw a bear, but I did. Anyway, uh, let's go back to the book. Talk about the book. Yeah, I mean, I I'm an old soul when it comes to to football, fellas. It's I, I love the violence, love the physicality, um, a little irate over where the game's going as we saw in week five right i mean you tackle a quarterback and you know that that player's taken away in handcuffs and in any way did you do did you do the thing after the two penalties were you like this isn't even football anymore did you get like that head up over it i got pissed yeah i was mad it's it's becoming something else just put flat I, i here's the thing i want the nfl to just be honest be honest like either yeah i i think that's it yeah Go, go, I'm go, not like anti, you know, concussion awareness. Like that's very real. CTE is very real. They, you don't want safeties decapitating receivers and, you know, the scary stuff you see, but like, don't pretend that the NFL is this safe space. Like the people who sign up to play, they know what they're getting into. I mean, yeah. I talked to Ben Coates. I mean, he's, he's beat to hell from head to toe. He'd do it all over again. A lot of these tight ends would. So I guess more than anything, just be honest. It's violent. Stop with the, the 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 infomercials telling us that you know this is something that it's not, and let's roll with it. So you know, to get back to your question, I guess it began as this quest for the soul of football and what 
is the position, who is the player that is keeping the sport alive, the sport that we love. And it is the tight end. It is what Mike Dicker created, you know, in 1960, 1961, era to era, decade to decade. This this is the player that preserves it. But as people are going to find out, it's I mean, there's X's and O's in there. They're sprinkled in. There's There's some schematic stuff, but it's a book about life. It's a book about the trauma these dudes went through. It's a book about Rob Gronkowski parting his ass off. It's a little bit of everything that I think uh, people are going to enjoy. Why about Kevin Boss? Yeah. <laughs> oh my want, God, that want, is a guy. Oh my God. We'll we'll get to that part. I'm but, fascinated by the fact that Mike Ditka, who by the time I started playing paying attention to football as a child, already was just like this Jurassic avatar of just you know like old-fashioned like mustache like 100 sausage diet like just <laughs> like a really weird old-fashioned guy that is the innovator for this position like this is basically the guy that you could point to as saying that like he invented being a tight end in the way that we understand it now i wouldn't have thought that mike Ditka invented anything except for the 100 sausage diet that i mentioned earlier <laughs> he did yeah, he-, he did you know it in the fifties, right there were there are split ends and there's ends, and that was kind of it. You got like Raymond Barry out there, and the end blocked. But you know, Mike Dicka, you know, and his, his coaches created the two way release, right? Like off of the line, you could run around this way, you could run around that way. He started catching a ton of passes, and so you had to differentiate that player from anything else. So it became a tight end. Like you're 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 an end. You're in tight, but you're going to go out and catch some passes. So uh, him, Mike, uh, John Mackey, Jackie Smith, um, just unbelievable stories. And I tell you what, even Dicka, I mean, here's, like you said, we all have seen Dicka on our TV sets our entire lives, right? He's he's in kicking right. and screaming, all, all of this stuff. But shit, talking to Mike Dicka right there at his golf course, you know, he's got a cigar right there. I learned things that I never knew, and I don't think a lot of people knew. I mean, this is somebody, when he was traded to Philadelphia, when George Hallis kind of got tired of him, and, and Dick is flirting with the AFL, and they, they ship him off. In Philly, he was depressed. He was drinking himself into oblivion. His life was falling apart. He, looking back, he's like, I could have died at that point of my life. And then Tom Landry calls. He becomes a Dallas Cowboy. He catches a touchdown in the Super Bowl, and his, his, his life just takes off. It becomes really the silhouette. For the NFL itself, the Jerry West. I read, I read, I read about um, the section about Dicka and basically having like you know a blue period where he was drinking a lot. But um, I wanted to know a bit. Did he talk to you more about that? Um, that didn't make the book. Like, is he clean? Like, he doesn't. He still drinks, I would imagine, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he he has enjoyed himself over the years. A tipple. But moderation, <laughs> right? Moderation. It's uh. Yeah, you kind of know where, what your breaking point is, and and in Philly, he went beyond it. <laughs> that thing that all football fans love and enjoy and practice so regularly. <laughs> right. You also in your book, you had a great story about Mike Malarkey um, nearly getting punched by Tony Gonzalez because he was ordering like Tony Gonzalez had just gotten traded to Atlanta, and Mike Malarkey was one of the position coaches there, and he wanted Gonzalez to play the position differently than he had been playing it in Kansas City, which is fucking insane already, yeah. right? But the second part was that he tried to he tried to refashion Gonzalez's game by showing him film of Mark Bruner. <laughs> and I have no I have no question for you, Ty. I'm just first of all, I'm I was delighted to remember a guy in Mark Bruner when I was reading oh, the same. book. But also I'm appalled on Tony's behalf. What what the fuck happened? 
between these two? It was unbelievable. That was definitely the point of that conversation with Tony Gonzalez in Austin, Texas, that, you know, my head almost just exploded because it does boggle your mind. I mean, here is somebody setting every record, redefining the position, doing things that tight end nobody before him had really done. I mean, Tony Gonzalez is basketballifying the position. He's 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 plucking the football atop DB's heads. He's boxing out linebackers. There is no way to defend him. I mean, defensive players say that we we had no answer. He he was Tim right. Duncan. I think Dante Whitner said he's you know what's coming and you can't stop it. And the first day. With the Atlanta Falcons, Mike Malarkey's his coach. They sit down, and you're right. Malarkey pulls up all the clips of all the old-time Pittsburgh Steelers in the 90s, just, you know, shortening people's necks, as uh, Gonzalez puts. And he's sitting there, and not not much is being said. Malarkey's kind of gruff about it. And Tony's thinking, like, why in the hell did these guys trade for me? And Mike Malarkey's kind of thinking the same thing, like, why did we trade for this guy? He didn't even really want him. It was like an arranged I don't want this fancy glory boy who catches passes and What's is productive. That is Gonzalez would have, if he had retired instead of getting traded to the Falcons, he would be in the Hall of Fame. Like of after course. the Chiefs part of his career. So the idea, I mean, Malarkey was kind of that type of tight. I mean, he was a tight end himself. But the idea that you like trade for this, it's like trading for Barry Bonds and just making him get bunts down. <laughs> like, it's so fucking weird to me that like, yeah. even by NFL standards, even by like how backwards the sport like wants to be a lot of the time. That is amazing. Did uh, did you talk to Malarkey um, after you had talked to Gonzalez? I, I did. Yeah. I mean, M- Malarkey, he definitely wanted to speak for this book, too. I think he was on his way uh, to see his ill parents. So I mean, he, he's on the run. He's driving around. He. He wants his voice heard on the matter too. And he absolutely deserves his voice to be heard. And Hey, I, I get his point to an extent, right? He's in Pittsburgh. He has Mark Bruner. I mean, they won a lot of games. He played tight end a certain way. Mark Bruner played tight end a certain way. Everybody through Pittsburgh, it's you're in tight, you block, you kick people's ass and you run the ball. I mean, Mark Bruner, I mean, he, I mean, think about the thousand yard seasons Jerome Bettis had. He had a big part of that. I mean, he could just manhandle people in the trenches. So in Malarkey's head, are right, this is what works. This is the tight end that's going to win me games. But it kind of comes back to what we see in the NFL today. I mean, the entire league just misses on Lamar Jackson, right? Like the, the right. entire NFL is thinking, all right, this is the way the quarterback position needs to be played. You know, we have our playbook. We have our way of doing it. Instead of looking at Lamar Jackson and be like, holy shit, we've never seen somebody <laughs> just leave D linemen, linebackers, cornerbacks, safeties in the dust as a runner. Let's just throw out everything we know about quarterback and surround him with an offense that suits him. I mean, the, the Ravens even drafted Hayden Hurst the head of Lamar Jackson, but Ozzie Newsom didn't have the right. foresight though to to do to take that leap. And there's a reason Ozzie Newsom did, and, and that's a huge point of that chapter as well. But yeah, I mean, Mike Malark, I mean, he he was set in his ways on what the tight end position should be and didn't really realize that Tony Gonzalez is this transcendent figure that should be featured in every possible way. I mean, he still put up great numbers, a lot of which after you know, Malarkey left. And as you referenced there, I hope, hope everybody can, can read the book and get the full story, but it all came to a head against Tampa Bay on his 999th catch. So he just needs one more for a thousand. Tony Gonzalez is adamant. Mike Malarkey iced me out, did not call a play for me until the last drive. You know, when they're trying to ice the game, and Matt Ryan's pressured. He can't even get the ball to Tony Gonzalez. Matt Ryan's a young quarterback, right? I talked to Brian Finneran about this too, a receiver on the team. 
he could have gone rogue yeah. and he could have just said, you know, done a little dump off to Tony Gonzalez, but he didn't, right. You know, he didn't want to go that route. Um, and in the locker room afterwards, Mike Malarkey's going around, shaking everybody's hands one to the next, to the next. And Tony Gonzalez right. is thinking he never does this. Like they, cause they won the game. I should, they, they get to nine and seven, they win the game, but there's nothing at stake in this game. It was meaningless. A classic Falcon season. Yeah. That's <laughs> really the oppressive so Falcon it, vibes to this entire story. <laughs> what, what did Malarkey say to you about uh, Gonzalez's account of that incident? So Tony Gonzalez, when he gets, he, this is Tony Gonzalez's account first. So he, Mike Malarkey's working his way around. He gets to Tony Gonzalez. He puts his hand out, big, you know, shit-eating grin, as Tony described, and says, you know, great game. And Tony is saying, you know, get away from me, Mike. Get away from me. And then, so they go at it a little bit verbally. And Tony is ready to throw down. Like, he is ready to throw punches. And it doesn't happen. It doesn't reach that point. Mike Malarkey's version of events, pretty similar. I mean, Mike Malarkey was pretty upset too (laughs) in that in his mind, like the Falcons just had a winning season. And I think I forget the stat. It was like back-to-back winning seasons for the first time in forever in the franchise's history. So he's thinking this is a big accomplishment. Mike Malarkey says, look, I didn't know he was on 999. It was told to me on the team flight home. I had no idea. Take that for what you will. Uh, But yeah, he was. He didn't want to provide as much detail as Tony Gonzalez did. He says that it's a lie that it was that close to becoming an all-out brawl, but that also kind of, you know, threw in there. I, he was he was ready. You know, if if it got to that point, Mike Malarkey was ready to act like it's you know 1982 and he's in his own locker room. So rare for football guys to uh, stick to their guns and believe themselves to be right, even after being proven wrong. I mean, yeah. he's. You've seen so many uh, tapes of people in the locker room just apologizing back and forth to each other. Uh, I was wrong. I should have listened. Things like that. Uh, um, classic football shit. Classic. One thing I want to I want to follow up on because uh, I think the Lamar Jackson point, obviously not a tight end, but I think is really well taken in this instance. Like football has changed a lot, not just in my lifetime, but like in the last twenty years of my life. Like it's more or less an unrecognizable game. Some of that is rule changes and some of its, you know, new ideas of best practices and stuff. Tight end obviously has changed probably the most, maybe out of any, just in terms of who's playing it. Like I think of like who were considered the sort of path-breaking guys when I was a kid. And it was mostly just like Eric Green was bigger than anyone that had played <laughs> tight end before. Like it was just like, they didn't have new ideas. And I don't think of pro football as being especially hospitable to new ideas or especially capable of, in any like meaningfully short time frame, looking at something, saying, "I don't know what this is. I don't know what to do with it," and then finding a way to use it. That that is like as a, institutionally, the league is very resistant to that. Like how I mean, you know, I'll make you like give away the book here, but like how did the evolution in this in in the tight end position like how does that happen? Like how long does it take? How many people need to like get twenty five percent more humble? And then how much is it just, you know, that we're seeing athletes uh, that can do stuff that tight ends used to not be able to do? That's a fantastic question because it just... I can make it longer if you'd like. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it takes. It takes a select few coaches, GMs, scouts, who are willing to think outside the box. Like, okay, I haven't seen this before, but... This could take the position a new direction. So um, in Chicago, Mike Dicka 
know, he George Hallis is obviously there, but um, his offensive coordinator is the one who's has the, the the novel concept of okay, off of the line of scrimmage you can go one way or the other. And then to take it a step further, Don Coryell, the, the Kellen Winslow chapter is as much of a, a Don Coryell chapter as anything with what everything right. he did to revolutionize the passing game. I'm going to put this absolute freak show out wide, split wide. And it's funny when you go back and look at film, like some of the players who were split wide are like in a three point stance. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, yeah. The old timey footage. I love that shit. But there's Kellen Winslow in a two point stance. And like Hank Bauer said, this dude walks in the locker room like, did we just sign a player from the Lakers, from the Clippers? Like, who, who is this guy? <laughs> and he just knew, like, it, it, that's a matchup nightmare out there. Do whatever you want. And then we got Charlie Joyner. We got Wes Chandler. We got Dan Fouts running the show. You have no answer schematically. So he just, you know, went, he went ham with that concept. Or maybe other coaches were dancing around it. Sam Bertigliano with the Cleveland Browns. You know, he sent his scout, you know, Rich Cotite, you know, future New York Jets head coach. Knew he would come in there. You can't talk about innovation in football without saying the name Rich Cotite. <laughs> well, he was a, by proxy, right? It yeah, wasn't right. his yeah. idea. Still yeah. closer than I would have been but, on. But also, he was like, he was a decent position coach until, and he was a, oh, right. he was an okay head coach with the Eagles yeah. before he went to the Jets and completely shit the bed. Yeah. Really and uh, the Jets so, issue. But, so, sorry, sorry I, what was Rich Kotite's role in this? Just finish yeah. that thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real quick, so Rutigliano sent Rich Kotite to, to, to Bama to look at Ozzie Newsom's ass. He just wanted to see if his butt was big enough to play tight end. That was it. it well, he came back. He's like, yeah, it's big enough. He can play tight end. And The bubble. Uh, he's got the bubble. He does. He does. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it took, you know, Bill Parcell, Sean Payton, Bill Belichick. I mean, I Bill, Belichick is Belichick, but he really saw – what the tight end could do early, especially two tight ends working in concert. Um, he comes up again and again throughout the book too, as it kind of moved in to the era we have today. He, yeah. he put one of them at running back and that yeah. was before he committed murder. Like that right. was like, that was the, bold the, shit. the guy that was playing running back. Bill Belichick is not to our knowledge of the podcast, the distraction Bill Belichick has never murdered anyone. I, I think he has. Uh, I got, uh, <laughs> I got two questions. I got a question to follow up Ross question for you, Ty, um, which is that, you know, we've we've talked about how the position sort of flourished despite the obstinacy of, of many coaches. Do you feel now in the league um, that coaches err more on the side of innovation than they used to? Like I, because I'm we're in the middle of the fourth down revolution, and there's you know in the two point revolution, there's a little bit of blowback on this uh, this season because of fuck-ups that Brandon Staley has made and, like, reticency on his part. And then Josh McDaniels went for two uh, at the end of Monday Night Football against the Chiefs, and they fucked up that play, and people were like, oh, you should have just kicked the extra point and lost in overtime. Like, I fucking hated that. But, like, I'm I'm going off way too far. Can you answer the first part of the question before I start being an idiot? <laughs> no, I, I think it's better than ever. Absolutely. I think that more owners are open to the idea of having GMs and more GMs are open to the idea of having head coaches who think outside the box, who right. think for themselves that it is a copycat league, but I think it's copycat for the right reasons. I mean, you talk to, um, you know, grunt, grunt scouts and GAs and assistant quarterback coaches around the league. I mean, they're, they're watching film all Monday for a play or a formation that a team ran that they haven't seen before. And if it works, they take it and they implement it. And mm -hmm. I think it does constantly keep defenses guessing. It keeps the league moving in the right direction. I say all this at the same time, like 
what do you see when you watch some of these games? Like when running good old fashioned power can still work. I mean, New England, it's like last week, yeah, they're playing the Detroit Lions. Defense isn't that great. But they're, it's, it's hat out of hat. It's north and south. And these 230-pound linebackers that all these teams were drafting to chase down Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Patrick Mahomes, they can't handle it. They can't handle a back just running straight downhill. So it, I think it does constantly evolve, and there's punches, there's counter punches, And overall, in the name of survival, you better be changing the way you think often. Yeah. So, I think it's it's kind of rooted in that the pressure to win is so heightened everywhere that teams are willing to kind of try something new, try something different. Why uh, why tire some franchises so bad at finding and developing good tight ends over like the span of like decades? The Jets come immediately to mind, but there's like a lot of teams like this. Why are they so shitty at it? Because they you know, they're stuck in the old way of of thinking. I mean that's. A, you see it with so many franchises where when you do have coaches in place for five years, for 10 years, for 15 years, who do think this is a player who must be in line. And maybe they just have a route tree. That's like more of a stump. And, you know, you just kind of turn, you turn out, you turn it and that's it. You're never going to have a dynamic player. You're never going to have a dynamic tight end. Even the chiefs with Tony Gonzalez. I mean, Tony Gonzalez, there's some frustration in his voice, how he was used in Kansas city. Once Jimmy Ray left, um, right. I think it does, it does take like that willingness to use this player in new ways. I mean, Mike Pope, um, an assistant coach with the giants, he had Bavaro and then he had Jeremy Shockey in the early two thousands. There's the list of coaches willing to like try something different with this player is not long. I mean, why do you think Bill Belichick is still out there paying John U. Smith and Hunter Henry all that money? Because he knows how valuable that position is. And teams are still resistant to invest in the tight end. Only fullbacks and specialists make less. I mean, they don't, they're not paid a lot. Yeah, they they they're low on the second they're low on the second contract uh, totem pole, which I, it suggests to me metrically that either it is not a valued uh, position or it is an undervalued yeah. position. And I I it, from talking to you, it seems like it's more. The latter, which blows my mind in 2022, because we've already had Tony Gonzalez, we've already had Gronk, we've already had Antonio Gates, we've already had these guys that have proven the value of position. I can't believe that there would be coaches out there currently employed who would think that the position could be any could be less than what it's already proven to be. The other side of it, I guess, to play devil's advocate to myself, is like there's just not a lot of players who are as talented as Gronkowski, as Kittle, as Kelsey. And, and it took very specific moments for all of these players. Like, And, and we get into it. I mean, it, it's not really an X's and O's book. It's it's a book on the human condition more than anything. I mean, all these tight ends at, at certain position, at, at positions in college, um, their lives were crashing down. Um, they didn't know what was going to happen next. I mean, George Kittle at Iowa, he – he learned to fall in love with blocking, with mashing other humans. And he had to overcome his own obstacles to get to where he's at. Dallas Clark, I mean, his mom dies in his arms. He goes to Iowa. He's a lot, he's a linebacker who's terrible. He's wearing weird numbers and he's his appendix is bursting and his he's he's mowing Kinnick Stadium to make money to pay his way through college because his dad blew all of his money. It's um it, it, it it's it's sad at a lot of times, but it's no coincidence that, you know, Dallas Clark becomes that chess peak that takes the Colts offense to the next level. And no coincidence right. that Jimmy Graham, you know, growing up as an orphan, basically 
fearing for his life in his group in a group home takes the position to another level. I, I do think that that there's a select few coaches willing to try something outside the box, but there's a select few individuals at the tight end position who are equipped to do what those coaches want. Let's uh, let's take a quick break, and we'll come right back with Ty Dunn of Go Long TD and the new book, The Blood and Guts. We'll be right back in just a moment. Uh, we're back with Ty Dunn uh, of Go Long TD and the book, How, uh, How Ty Dunn Save Football, The Blood and Guts. And I have one more uh, serious question for you before we dovetail into, into more topical matters. Um, and it's in the book, um, Ty, a common thread would be sort of a lack of regret from the men that you profiled. Um, you know, even like guys like Ben Coates, he's like, he's 53, but he's already broken down to the point where he can't even stand up anymore. And none of these guys regret those injuries or the tolls of the injuries took on them. But do you ever get the sense that they were fooling themselves, that they have no choice but to believe uh, all that because they can't reverse their present maladies? Like, how did you, how did you feel as a former high school quarterback yourself interviewing these guys when they've been broken down but expressed no regret over it? Right, yeah. As a, as a former high school quarterback for the Elkville yeah. Eagles. Uh, well, you played. <laughs> section six champ. No, you played, but that that matters. I think that I think that it, matters. No, I mean I, I, I would not be where I am in life as a husband, a father, a sports writer, a son, everything if I didn't play high school football. I think the game does so much good for you. I, you know, I definitely struggle. You know, having a son now who's one year old, it's not like he's ready for little loop football anytime soon. But I struggle with like when if he wants to play, when would be the right age? Yeah, everything we know about concussions, but. You know, on a personal level, I think that the game does so much for you in, in ways other sports can't. And I get the argument, like, look, just play another sport. You can still learn life lessons in other sports. I get it. I feel like football, the pressure of, like, if I don't do my job right on this play, I might get creamed. I might get my buddy creamed. By the way, we're under the lights. There's pressure. There's adrenaline rush. All of that stuff mixed in. It's it's different. It's rare. You can't emulate it. And that's why I love real football. Now, I'm somebody who comes from – you know, rural Western New York, you know, growing up in the woods, you know, my parents did well, you know, two parent household, a brother, a sister, loving family. I was unbelievably blessed. So many, not just tight ends, but so many players in general. I mean, I think that come from some unbelievably rough places where they know the risk, especially now, I think by and large, most guys do know what they're getting into. And it is yes. 100% worth it a million times over. If this thing could help you and help everybody around you. And I think these tight ends, yeah, they, they, they feel, I think Ben Coates again and again said that the friendships, the camaraderie, um, the memories that this game gave him 100% made it worth it. I mean, I mean, I, I got the list right here in front of me. I mean, his <laughs> the injuries he went through, it's like head to toe. It's unbelievable, and he can barely walk around his own home. Well, that's why I wanted again. to follow. That's why I wanted to follow up with you because, do you feel that that's really true? If the back half of your life, that all of those things were, were were worthwhile and good, if the back half of your life has so much pain and suffering and disability in it, I mean, it's it's not it's not a fun life Ben Coates has right now. It's tough. It's unbelievably tough. I, I take Ben Coates at his word that he's happy, right? I mean, he's got a lot of kids and he's living through them. He's, he's a dad, he's a husband. He's, he's living his life the, the best he can. And also there's an 82 year old Jackie Smith at a bar in Cybergs in St. Louis 
popping off the stool to pretend like he's running routes to show me how he was able to get open. Like, and he, he throws dumbbells around and is on a stairmaster and is in unbelievable physical shape. So it's such an individual basis. It's so, yeah, it's so, it's so case by case, but, um, and I, I see what you're getting at there because like, I get you. I mean, maybe they are, maybe some of these guys are fooling themselves possibly. Right. I mean, what I mean, else are you going to do? That's the part of it. That's so hard about it is that like, beyond the fact that, you know, some element of suffering is obviously built into it. It's like, you know, what other options? This is, I think, to your point there, too, about the idea of it being like, this is the deal. It's not a great deal, but there's a great deal of suffering. There's a great deal of hardship in the world. This is a choice that people get forced to make. I mean, like, this is a hard thing to sort of think about, and yet, like, fooling yourself to a certain extent, it's like, I don't know, you know, where else you could go. Like, otherwise, it's just bitterness, right? And, like, who wants to spend the rest of your life like that? Like, if you had a life like Ben Coates had and you got to like, whatever, I mean, (laughs) be seared into the memories of millions of little dinguses who watched you and thought you were like pretty cool for a tight end. Like that's, I mean, you'd like to see the guy get more options than that. And yet, uh, like not the worst deal that you could get. It's like volunteering for a life that is front loaded, like eating your dessert first. You know, like, and, yeah. and, and then you eat your vegetables, but like, you know. I'm glad that Jackie Smith is okay. Every story I ever heard about old tight ends, I mean, it's, most of it was my dad really admired uh, John Mackey. And Mackey was, I mean, a, a ghost the last couple decades of his life due to CT and stuff that, that, you know, like, so I think I had, anytime I hear about a, a retired tight end who's like, yeah, he's doing fine, actually. Like, he, uh, he does yoga and, like, talks to his family all the time. I'm like, what the fuck? Wow, that's great. Like, which is bleak, but it's also the NFL. So uh, let me ask you some uh, current NFL questions, uh, Ty. Uh, since you are from Western New York, and you do, you do a, a lot of uh, Bills coverage in your newsletter, can you give me a good reason why that team will not win the AFC, and you can't say Patrick Mahomes. Do you sense any inherent flaws in the Bills themselves that would prevent them from rampaging to the Super Bowl the way they look to be doing at the moment? Sean McDermott in January? Let's see how that plays out, right? I mean, I get it. He has done a lot of good. I'm not saying that he should be fired right now. They were in a bad place under Rex Ryan. But you look at these last playoff what, three playoff defeats at the Houston Texans. You're up 16, nothing. You blow that the AFC championship game. You're kicking chip chat bugles and a blowout loss to the chiefs. What the hell are you thinking? And then 13 seconds last year, it was um, right from, from the touchback to lining your DBs up in another zip code it, that you handed the game to the Kansas city chiefs. When you had a team and you had a quarterback on an absolute heater and you're kind of come home to host the AFC championship game against Cincinnati. Uh, yeah. I think the, you, you have to be concerned. You know, this is somebody who's unbelievably detailed. It's a huge reason that they're a sustained winner at this point because they're so organized and they're so disciplined and it could be the middle of May and the calendar for every player is to a T. I mean, they have a well-oiled machine, but the details were just kind of blown to smithereens that night at Arrowhead Stadium. Um, the, the pressure obviously got to him. So what happens when that moment inevitably rises again? And... We'll see. I mean, they've got, they've got the most talented roster in the NFL, arguably. Uh, they've got the best quarterback in the NFL, arguably, and a guy that could win the MVP. We've got to see it, though, out of the head coach. What happens in the playoffs when everything's on the line? I'm on a, like a personal journey with McDermott that uh, I'm not, you know, I don't follow it quite as close as you because it's not like the local broadcast, but 
I'm, I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt just because of the fact. I mean, he was like, I thought of him as a mediocrity. The team has been, you know, now, like, I think this year looks notably better than just about any other NFL team. Like, they really were that good for a lot of last year, too. I may need to, like, try to assess him on that, like, Josh Allen career arc where, like, maybe my first impression of them was actually incorrect. Like, I don't know that I'm quite ready to extend that to McDermott yet, but the idea, like, thinking of him as the guy that insisted on starting Nate Peterman in a game, like, maybe that's ungenerous of me, right? Like, he was that dude, but also, like, he's got different problems now. Like, he's got, like, this... If he can't land this roster, then maybe he is, uh, you know, the coach that I sort of thought that he was. But, like, when you win this many games over this long a period of time, like... Maybe it's time to be nice. Well, also, do you, do you get the sense, Ty, that the players buy into Sean McDermott, particularly when it matters at the end of the season? Does he have the demeanor to win over that locker room and keep them won over? I think that there were a lot of questions after that playoff loss to Kansas City because publicly mm. it wasn't addressed. Fine, if you want to throw around execution in the press and your press conferences and repeat that again and again and again and again and again, whatever, okay? If you, if you don't want to tell the fans anything, through the media as the conduit. Okay. Privately coaches, players, they had no clue. I get it. You're not watching film of a playoff loss the next day. Everybody's clean out their locker. They're going home. Right. But I talked to these guys and it was weird. It was strange to all of them to not really know what happened. And that's why I did that big story. I go along trying to piece it together, talking to everybody I could. And yeah, there, we, we found some stuff out obviously, but I had, there was this prevailing, like, we were never told anything. And I think some guys were a little pissed off about it. I do think though, that over time, you know, they did a lot in the off season. They added a lot of different players as opposed to the off season before that, when they kind of ran it back after losing the AFC title game, they bring right. in Von Miller, they promote Isaiah McKenzie, Gabe Davis. So they did some different things. Um, I think that the, the, the new blood and it, it, that kind of made things feel different. And I do, I, you know, Roundabout way of saying, I do think that they buy into their head coach. I, I think he's kind of a square. I think he's just kind of a, a kind of a bore, and he's just kind of old fashioned. But that's fine. I'll say this though: if they get into the playoffs, and we, for the fourth time there's some type of meltdown, there will be at least justifiable whispers of, okay, we've got Josh Allen. Do we go the Doug Collins to Phil Jackson route? Do we go the uh, Pat Riley route. God, who the hell was the coach before Pat Riley? Um, right, because Dable is in Paul New York. And he's, yeah. Dable's winning. He's on top of the division with fucking Daniel right? Jones as his quarterback. Which we're not is, We're no. not talking about Daniel. This isn't a Daniel Jones podcast. We need to talk about Daniel you, Jones. You should be happy they're good. I'm happy. Dan, this is the best I've ever seen Dan Jones look. He's like uh, <laughs> he's like prime uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick slash Alex Smith out there. You, you just can't beat it. One, um, I'm, I'm, in, I'm trying to enjoy it like because... Uh, He's really like, this is about as commanding a Daniel Jones performance as I can see uh, happening. Yeah, in he was terrific in London. He was good. And they've like gone out of their way to only use wide receivers that are available on 100% of fantasy football league waiver wires. <laughs> like any, they will do, they will play anyone instead of Kenny Galladay, which I respect very much. And but Tony, is, they won't play Kadarius Tony either. Yeah, that's like, I'm sure there's some sort of thing where they, they just kind of don't like him. But it is weird that every week somebody named like, player nine and you're sort of like that's a strange name for a guy why does he have facial uh dimensions we'll catch like six passes for 50 yards and you're like i like that richie james richie james marcus johnson you got it let's Uh, do it uh one more football thing for you ty because i know you covered the packers pretty extensively 
do you sense this season? And I'm not asking this because I'm a Vikings fan, but I'm just I'm asking this because we just got off of uh, them losing to the Giants in London, and then Aaron Rodgers forcibly, um, you know, essentially demeaning his own teammates for for being pessimistic about the Jets game that's coming up. Um, do you sense that that situation in Green Bay uh, is tenuous that they could collapse, or do you sense that it is really just sort of their annual Rocky start before they really get their shit together and win the division anyway. I think it's different than relax and, you know, talking down to all of us for even suggesting there could be something (laughs) wrong, which is par. You know, he's got a platform to do that each week. I mean, everything that was in the locker room, you know, Aaron Jones, Jair Alexander are being real and honest and, you know, expressing concern. And then, Oh, don't worry. A couple days later, everything's fine. Everybody's shut. No, it's real. I mean, that was a rough loss. The reason I think it could be different is he's not the same elite MVP freak show quarterback with Devontae Adams over there or Jordy Nelson and a younger Randall Cobb and Donald Driver and Jermichael. Like in the past, it was like you expected that offense to just kind of flip a switch and go. But I predicted them to get to the Super Bowl because I thought even with an above average quarterback, you've got a defense with a bunch of young, violent hitters, you know, they, 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 they could win with some defense. And I thought they, yeah, had they have good defenders and they have not played very well on defense. Like they've been spotty no. on defense, which does not make any sense to me at all. Can't stop the run, but also, you know, Aaron Rodgers needs to buy into Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon for him to throw the ball 39 times. And for those two backs to combine for 19 carries is an injustice. I mean, it's insane. And we can't sit here and blame Matt LaFleur. Aaron Rodgers has car blocks. He can do what he wants at the line of scrimmage. And he wanted to throw the ball in that last play. Um, so, no, hand the ball off. It's okay. You can win this way. I mean, they, they, they've they proven they can win this way at times. I don't know. I don't know where it goes from here. It takes um, some swallowing of pride, of ego. And I think Aaron Rodgers is smart enough to know physically where he's at at this point of his career. I think he I think he gets there. I think they get to the playoffs. I think there's still a threat. But it it's not going to be as automatic as it's been in the past because those top-tier receivers aren't just aren't there. It's actually it's actually perfect. It's a perfect situation for Rodgers because if he audibles out of runs a million times, everyone will blame the head coach instead of him. And then also, if he sucks ass, people will just say they can just blame the front office for not getting uh, better wideouts to surround him yeah. with. So he's absolved the blame, no matter how much of a shit bag he is. Yeah. He's a I mean, shit bag. He's right. washed. He is. He's washed. I tell right. you. Right. He he flows to Odell Beckham stuff out there too. Like he's mad at teammates for speaking up, and he you know mm-hmm. he's asked about Odell Beckham, and he leaves that open for interpretation. It is wild. There's still like obviously this is correct. Like I'm hearing it, and it totally has the ring of truth. And yet there's still I'm so like the thing with not running the ball is like that's such a long-standing thing it's been a gripe of mine for a long time with them and I'm still there's like the gland in my brain that analyzes football is like still mad at Mike McCarthy about it somehow like it's very clearly an Aaron Rodgers problem at this point like the idea of I think that's totally like worth I don't know why I hadn't thought of it before but like yeah of course he's calling his own fucking plays like so like if you have an issue with it then that is what your issue is yeah and if he's if he's dialing up his own number to pass the ball Perhaps he does not recognize that his skills have atrophied. And I'm not talking about like considerably. I'm talking like 10% or something like right. that. Yeah. Um, uh, let's remember a guy. You want to remember a guy, Ty Dunn? Because every week we remember a, a former athlete who was not like necessarily like an all star, but a guy when you hear the name, you're like, I remember that guy. You want to remember a guy? 
Hell yeah, this sounds Good. like the best thing of all time. Because the guy of the week, in honor of you and your book, Ty Dunn, is former giant Howard Cross. You remember that uh, guy? We love Howard Cross. Remember Howard Cross, Ty Dunn? Is he in the book? I can, I can picture big old Howard Cross. Didn't make the book. You know, we got about 12,000 words of shocky. No Howard Cross, but I, I remember that guy. Absolutely. Yep. You know, it's funny. That shit that made Howard Cross. We, I remember him very, very fondly. He was, you mentioned like the cool types of Giants tight ends. Those guys obviously were, you know, formative for me growing yeah, up as a Giants fan. But the guys that also were just sort of like tackling sleds on a little remote control that you could move around. Like those guys are equally seared in my memory. Howard Cross was a huge rectangular human being. Like, and, loved that. Anybody that like Ben McAdoo would have loved throwing an end zone fade to. Yes, like that is like a that is a perfect <laughs> average Giants tight end guy. Uh, fun bag time. Uh, this is from John Ty. He writes in: Why are NFL quarterbacks such weirdos? Why are they all freak shows? Ty Dunn. Whew. I think that if you don't, all right, you're obviously on a pedestal. You're talked about more than anybody else. Your right. every word you say is being parsed and analyzed and hyper analyzed. And if you don't have a foundation of some sort, like at home, whether it's family, whether it's religion, what have, whatever it is that a lot of people kind of, kind of have at, at their core. I'm thinking about Aaron Rodgers. Um, your mind could go to some weird places because you're out, you're in search of that foundation. Maybe you try a little Hayabisca, whatever the hell it's called. <laughs> and you know, maybe, maybe you go on all these different podcasts and you talk about self love and you're thinking, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a theory, but I feel like, you know, he hasn't talked to his family since 2014. He's gone through several different spiritual religious journeys. Uh, maybe it's without, it's kind of like, you know, meandering about and trying to find something. Seeking the divine and finding Pat McAfee. What a dark fucking trajectory that is. I, uh, I by the way, uh, this is really a question for you and me, Roth, but like, I know, I know McAfee mostly is the guy who quit the NFL to join Barstool, but mm-hmm. like, and that's sort of how I, that's cemented like I've permanently thought of him as that guy ever since, but I don't. I've never like listened to his podcast or watched his show. Like I've seen him on Game Day; he's pretty good. So I'm kind of like, is Pat McAfee sneaky good? He's and he didn't realize it. Like Vegas doesn't know what to do. With he gets fucking actually, great copy of Aaron Rodgers. Like that's a so pretty I, good deal. I was going to say I have him filed under good. Oh, um, okay. and I also have only watched like the little clips of it. It's clear that people are comfortable talking to him. It's clear that he, like, knows sort of what kind of questions to ask to get interesting answers. Like, I don't need to, you know, share every personal belief or, like, political belief with him. I don't even know what those are. I feel like the uh, – I wish that he would wear a shirt with sleeves, personally. <laughs> always the black tank. I love it's it. Always. But beyond that, like, yeah, he's – it seems like, for the most part, he's uh, been a net positive there. Well, I'm, I would say that I'm, the I'm, one question, one thing I want to feel about the question about why quarterbacks are weird that's funny to me is that Joe Burrow being seemingly a very well-adjusted young man, uh, the fact that he stands out so much that everybody's like, I really think he could be president, like, is very, very funny, simply because he does not have, like, out-of-control Philip Rivers energy. Everybody's like, this is the greatest leader that I've ever seen, and the most authentic speaker, which is, I think that that is like, as the exception that proves a rule, this is one of the best examples I can think of. Ty Asso, I think it's the demands of the position because it's the hardest yeah. position in all of sports and it's so much work and occupies so much yeah. of your mental energy. Like Peyton Manning, like back in his playing days, he didn't know how to work a fucking microwave. So like, I just think it, it has to attract people 
who have you know a you know a a, a disorder where they can only focus on quarterbacking to the to the you know to the deletion of pretty much everything else in their lives, including Tom Brady's marriage. So I think that's kind of why that is. Uh, this is uh, this is from Tyler, a different Tyler, not you, uh, Tyler Dunn. This is a different Tyler who said. He wrote, I turned 40 a few weeks back and I was a little troubled to receive more happy 40th birthday wishes from corporations I have a financial relationship with than from actual fucking human beings. Nothing like opening a birthday email from Rakuten to really set up the day for greatness. Is this a normal part of growing older now or do I need to get out more and make more non-brand friends? I do think if your date of birth is in a social media app, sadly you will be spammed into oblivion with happy birthdays. More than anything, though, like, I don't know, guys, I'm 35. These last few years, I really don't give a shit about my own birthday. Like, I don't it's it's great to maybe catch up with a friend here, a family member there. And it's nice, you know, that they think of you on that day. But I really don't care. I tell everybody I don't need a present. I don't want a celebration. I don't need anything. Birthdays to me, it's like a very I don't know, you're when you're a kid, when you're a teenager, maybe there's you turn 21, you go get drunk. But at some point you outgrow birthdays unless I'm just kind of being an old man yelling at a cloud. No, I mean, I mean you're for, a dad that, that that's yeah. what dads do. Like I just As turned 46. No dad. It's still just an excuse to go out to dinner to me. Like that's like yeah. all that we really use it for. Like, like at our age, cause we're all in the thirties and forties. Like you get to the age where it's only going to be multiples of 10 where your birthday matters. And even then, like it's a signpost on the way to death. Like, Oh, <laughs> right. Well, you yeah. turned 40. Your life is half over now. Yeah, nice sweet. job. You're, you're cool. going to fucking well, die. You're going to die sooner rather than later. So I had myself in the first half, not going to lie. Yeah, that is not a great feeling. <laughs> but I, the one I, bit I want to say oh, to that reader's question is that I think the real issue there is that brands are now comfortable addressing you as if they're people, and that needs to stop. <laughs> I don't care for that at all. Like, I don't care for it on, especially like on Twitter, where it's like people always like surface these things where it's like Capri Sun will never forget 9-11. And you're like, <laughs> be, be quiet. You are a pouch full of juice. <laughs> like, <laughs> I get I get them from, uh, you're from like your dentist and like hospitals and shit like that. Like yeah. the Mount Sinai, who did brain surgery on me? I get a birthday postcard from them every year. Well, that, to me, that makes sense. It's kind of basically. It's, it's kind of yeah. nice because I'm like, I'm like, still here, motherfucker. You could, mm-hmm. Y'all tried to get rid of me, but you couldn't do it. That's a big deal. They, yeah. If they're gonna pat themselves on the back for that too, like they should just keep sending that until it gets bounced back to them. Like they did a great job. Right. You're still there to open it and be like, oh yeah, that was pretty good. Uh, Brandon Nixon, Chantel Holder are our producers. Nora Ritchie is our executive producer. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. You can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. And thanks to Roth and me, you get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to stitcherpremium.com. Use the promo code DISTRACT. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. And please, go subscribe to Defector.com too while you're at. And you can subscribe to Tyler's website, golongtd.com, for free. You can sign up for that newsletter for free right now. And I subscribe. I really do. I honestly do. And I, I really like it. His book is The Blood and Guts. A tight end safe football that is available on Tuesday, uh, mere days from when this podcast posts. Tyler Dunn, it was wonderful having you on. Uh, thank yeah. you so much. Thanks, man. Pleasure is all here, fellas. Love the show. Love you guys. Thanks so much for having me. All right, all our best to you and yours. We'll see you again uh, next week, everybody. Goodbye. Bye.